the bells already been rung, and they've heard it. about finally having everything you always wanted. Welcome to the DC Film Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screen, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I'm Tim, and we are the Squadcast. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I, 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 as you were doing the opening part of the script, you're doing this little hand motion towards me. I talk with my hands. I know it's been hard <laughs> now. Uh, reveal behind the curtain while we still do release an audio podcast we have started using zoom just so we can actually look at each other while we talk tim's not used to actually seeing what i do when we're talking and as and as scott is talking through the script he's kind of like motioning towards me i'm like why are you motioning at me because i talk with my hands so then i'm like okay well screw you i'm gonna motion at you when i do my part of the script how do you like that Oh, that was funny. The the look on your face was worth it. Oh, you know, I just I just look at you going, "Oh my god, Tim's been ridiculous." <laughs> Man. Oh. oh. Well, it, that's not the only time. <laughs> it's never the only time. <laughs> Oh, man. So, it's been a crazy week. Uh, full disclosure, we're recording on Halloween. Yeah. My kids have been sugared up for probably all week. I, d- I just, <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's like, it's a full moon. It's Halloween. It's 2020. You know, God bless his soul. Sir Sean Connery passed away today. We are going to be recording a little Patreon memoriam to Sean Connery because I love that man. <laughs> and I want yeah. to talk about him and his movies. True legend. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm kind of curious since we, and we'll talk about that for Patreon, but like you did bring up Halloween, I was just kind of curious. What did your kids go as? Um, Liam went as Ash, the main Pokemon trainer, the one with Pikachu. Okay. And then uh, Declan went as Spider Man. So that's been that's been that was what they went as, and they had a they had a fun time. This is actually Declan's second year in a row as a Spider Man character. So. Okay. So he's, he's all in, huh? Oh, he is. Once he saw Into the Spider Verse, he was like sold. Nice. Uh, so my daughter was very interested in going as a vampire this year. <laughs> I was. Wondering Wondering what that con- I, I I'll admit I saw the picture on Twitter. Yeah. Beautiful family. Thank you. I was very unclear of what she was going as. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things. I mean, it, like if she could have had the teeth and like she, my daughter wanted to do blood, like just like have blood in her mouth. And my my wife was kind of like, no, 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 you're not doing that. <laughs> oh, come on, Jamie, come on. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, so she was a she was a vampirist, and then my son went as it's a me, Mario. I know he's a Mario. <laughs> Uh, he he looked adorable as that, so that was a lot of fun. They they were they were quite sad this year because like we we knew there probably wasn't going to be much of a Halloween celebration this year, mm-hmm. and uh, sure enough, it kind of came around. Like and I wasn't really sure what to expect. Like were people just going to go out anyway? But there really weren't that many people out and about. No, it was uh, what I appreciated were the people who had tubes on their banisters, so they sat <laughs> on their front porch and literally just sent the candy down the tube. I yeah. have to. I 
I had to applaud the ingenuity. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. Um, so we ended up like uh, we hung out with some friends of ours uh, that have you know their daughters are the same age as my daughter, and and we you know we're they're friends of ours as well. So we we've all been you know kind of staying socially distanced and all that. So we've been letting them kind of play together. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we did that, and uh, so we did a nice little cookout outside, and and um, did a pinata full of candy, which was quite fun. Oh, and, but awesome. there's like in an area just around us, there were a few neighbors that were actually outside. They had tables set up and were giving out some candy. And, and um, <laughs> this one neighbor had put out these uh, folding tables, and they had put out candies that you can go up and grab. That and the candies were all socially distanced <laughs> from each other. <laughs> I we had one too. We had a neighbor do that. Yes, yeah. yes. Which I thought was which I thought was quite funny. But yeah, I mean it was fine. The kids ended up having kind of a good time because we got to go we got to do a little bit of a mini run around the neighborhood to pick up a few things. And uh, we had one neighbor that was giving out these like big like like eight inch size Hershey bars. Yes, so did we. Yes. Did you? Okay. We've got the one house that's like no. When you go to that house, yeah, you legit get like the king size candy bar. <laughs> like um, it, it, it's like the, you don't miss this house. Yeah. So it was fun. You know they so they they had a lot of fun when it was all said and done. And then we uh, in the end of the night we sat with our garage open and we sat inside there and turned all the lights out and we had all the kids tell scary stories, which was, which was kind of funny. So good memories. Absolutely. That's fun. Yeah. We just we 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 made sure we took care of the trick or treating before it got dark. Then we had dinner. We had some friends who like you know we're you know we social distance together and so they they got to play around with like glow sticks outside and just had fun and then we came home and they just crashed <laughs> yeah it's good that's a good feeling as a parent yes it is especially with all the candy i have in my house that i'm just like oh the time you spend after halloween getting rid of all that candy <laughs> yeah we put out uh since we weren't at our house i put out a big bucket up front and you know you know basically set aside take take you know take a piece or take a couple pieces of candy and uh i was kind of surprised like i mean we put out a lot and it was almost all gone but there were still eight pieces left i thought for thir- sure the thing would have been wiped out within you know the first 15 minutes of course you know there's gonna be somebody like oh i'll just take all this oh, just take all of it. right exactly <laughs> which is usually what happens but yeah it was good though yay well i was i was happy that they could still have some this was a way to give them some sense of at least halloween was the same right yeah try to give them as much normalcy as possible exactly because we ain't getting it no that's for sure well guys we of course want to take this opportunity to remind you that yes we are members of squadcast media which does include dc comic squadcast with chris and jordan chris's horror comics podcast uh ray eventually coming back at some point with dc tv squadcast i just love kneeling him at this point it's just <laughs> just fun at some He'll point be back and uh fans without borders with brent and ray and we do have marvel squadcast which at this point i think we we can take the strike off it's like they went to some sort of hiatus but they're kind of back now i'm thinking i'm back well and we also need to mention this this fantastic new show that i've heard about it's called <laughs> it's called enter the night <laughs> oh my god that is so shameless i love it oh it's absolutely shameless that's what that's with me yours truly tim and and jordan and we are reviewing every single batman comic starting from the very beginning and we've made it through one episode so far actually we've made it through two episodes but one only one's been published yeah we're publishing them on patreon once we get around episode 10 or so we'll start to release it out to the public but for right now the patrons have exclusivity to it but it's been a ton of fun uh doing that show jordan and i were just like we've been communicating about how much fun we had doing it and we're we kind of moved up our recording so that we can get back to it to record the next couple episodes that we're going to be doing that this Wednesday. I can't wait to listen to it. I've got it downloaded. just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, as we mentioned, we want to take an opportunity to thank all of you who are able to contribute to the network on Patreon at patreon.com squadcastmedia. We really do appreciate the financial contributions that help keep these shows going. Uh, we always like to point out that we do have some exclusive content for those who back at $5 or more. Uh, we have Squadcast Movies Patreon Edition, which is where we watch and review every 
comic book movie ever made. Next up, of course, the classic 1977 Spider-Man. <laughs> I just can't wait to listen to what you guys have to say about that movie. I just... Yeah, I like how you said that. You guys. You guys, yeah. <laughs> I am totally throwing you under the bus. There's no way in heck I'm getting on that show. Uh, that's going to be a doozy. But, I mean, to I mean, let's not dwell on that. Let's remember, we just, all six of us got together and published, and we did a recording, and I published Batman Returns. I, I have actually started to listen to that because, you know, you always take that great thing where, like, when there's all six of us, we're all talking over each other, and you yeah. make sure that you get all the nuggets where it's like, <laughs> I don't remember someone saying that, probably because someone else was talking at the time. Yeah, I do a thing where I stretch out <laughs> the, the talking where we overlap each other so that I make sure everyone's heard. So it uh, takes a little bit of work, but it's well worth it. Yeah, so that was a doozy of a recording. Only second time in network history that all six of us are on the same recording. So Yeah, only the second time in five years. How about that? I know, check that out. And of course, we also have Fans of the Borders Plus, which actually, this week, we are planning a recording. It's going to be Tim and myself with a special guest discussing Boy Season 2. And I am really looking forward to that discussion. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. So we're actually doing that one Monday night we're going to record it. So we'll be dropping that one this week, no. whenever you publish it. <laughs> no. Scott is a producer on that one. I am. I really am. Yeah. So, and then, of course, uh, as we discussed, you know, little, little, little in honor of Mr. Connery, you know, we'll, we'll be recording that after we do this. So look for that, patrons as well. I think you'll enjoy it. Yep, absolutely. All right. I think it is time, Scott. We need to get into some of this news. I know. I almost, I don't know, this first story w- with um, from Variety and Sarnoff talking in a Q&A as part of Variety's Power of Women Conversations virtual event. At first, I will admit, when I saw the story, I just felt like, are, are we just saying the same thing? But as, as you and I were discussing before we started recording, it's like, okay, there is something to actually dig into. At the end, Sarnoff basically tries to excuse the release of Tenet when Warner Brothers did it by saying that Christopher Nolan appeals greatly to the international audience. So at the time that it was being released, more movie theaters in international markets were open than they were here in the United States. So that was kind of their thinking going into the Tenet release. We can debate, or can we debate, how that turned out. Let's just say generally Warner Brothers is saying it didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out. Right. So we know they've been constantly kicking the can down on Wonder Woman 1984. And of course, a lot of people are like, just release the dang thing. Let's see it. And this was very telling that came from Sarnoff. Sarnoff said, but the studio will have to watch conditions in the U.S. closely before making the final call because Wonder Woman is expected to skew more to the domestic market than Tenet. Her quote was, it really is about how the U.S. continues to open and whether there are any other surges. We've got a little bit of time to figure that out. Which got me thinking... And I reminded Tim, not that he forgot, but it just we thought about it. Wait a minute. We remember when Wonder Woman came out in 2017. It was almost unprecedented that the box office was practically 50-50 between domestic and international. And on these giant tentpole films, that never happens. It's always like 60-40, 70-30 international to domestic. And so Tim started digging into the numbers and we're like, well, this is why they're so concerned with Wonder Woman opening in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so went back and took a look at domestic and you know knowing that Wonder Woman had a really hefty domestic haul which was 413 million dollars domestically I had to go back and look and see well just how many Warner Brothers films or even New Line films have like exceeded that 413 there's only been two the highest domestic box office from a Warner Brothers film was Dark Knight which was at 535 million and the very next one after that it was Dark Knight Rises at 448 million and then of course Wonder Woman came in at third at 413 so this this really kind of gives you an insight about 
about why Warner Brothers is so hesitant about doing anything when it comes to Wonder Woman without having a full-blown domestic market available. Because they're looking historically and going, this thing played incredibly well in the United States. We, we need the United States to try to ensure that Wonder Woman 1984 will be the box office success that we expect. Right. I think, however, we both are of the opinion of Warner Brothers just needs to kind of cut the cord of that because I don't think there's any way that you're releasing Wonder Woman 1984 anytime soon and getting anywhere those numbers. Like, that just isn't happening. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't I don't see that happening either because, I mean, I think, you know, the damage that this pandemic has done to the film industry and not just that, really more so the the exhibitors in the United States, I, I think is going to be lasting. You know, for right now, we've got even the biggest chains right now are struggling to even stay afloat right now. And you got to figure a lot of these small exhibitors are are basically probably on a verge, if not, I have not already of going out of business mm-hmm. because, you, you know, you can't, they're like, there's nothing to sustain those businesses right now. And the sad thing is, like, I don't see, it doesn't look like there's any kind of end in sight in terms of all the measures that our country is having to take right now in terms of the pandemic and it's and it's not just our country right now if you look at the european market you see they're going back into lockdown they're going back into lockdown and we just heard news in the last couple days i think france and now the uk are going into full-on lockdown uh for any kind of like big gatherings and so i i don't know specifically but i would imagine that movie theaters are in that you know kind of fall under that category right now i think germany also falls under that category as well does it okay yeah so i mean it's um you know it's it's going to be quite quite a while before we even get out of this. And uh, so not just the damage that's done to the number of healthy exhibitors that are going to be out there that can show these films when it's all said and done. I'm not even sure the viewing population is going to be there like it used to be. Because I think for one thing, there will be a lot of people that will still be hesitant about going out uh, in public, you know, in a in a crowded area to go see these films. But then I think the second thing, too, is like, I think, I think you're going to get a lot of people that are just moving on, that are going to be more willing to see these things in their in the safety of their home or in the comfort of their home realizing that you know it's in the end it's kind of an easier experience for them because they can just kind of do it at their own time they could do it you know they can hit pause if they need to you know all these things that kind of like become as a benefit with watching these things at home I I kind of feel like there's going to be a certain percentage that's going to just kind of like skew towards that type of behavior because which we've it's basically like 2020 has trained us to do yes yeah so and 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 you know me I'm a theater guy I love going to the theater but even I'm looking at the reality situation going I'm screwed yeah the way I like to consume movies is in danger legitimately in danger i don't like it i don't want it to happen but i have to look with my own eyes and go this ain't hat this isn't getting better anytime soon no no it's uh it's sad so i mean you can only imagine you know all the the business scenarios that warner brothers are looking at right now in, in terms of trying to figure out you know when is the right window to try to you know maximize their um their earnings on this film and i don't know that there's any easy answers out there and unless it's just you know we, we go full-blown into HBO Max and commit to that. You know, it's... And we got news from Variety this week that uh, children's and family-friendly programming has moved from Casey Bloy's HBO and HBO Max content chief to Tom Etchum, who is a Disney veteran who joined Warner Brothers as president of Global Kids, Young Adults, and Classics in June. So I think that's interesting that they're taking the kids and family programming away from HBO and HBO Max, even though they've had some really fun stuff, like, I don't know, the Not Too 
Too Late show with Elmo has been fun. They had a, have you, uh, you know, Don't Let the Pigeon Do Story Time with Mo Willems. That I loved having with my kids. So I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, have you ever read the, you know, Piggy and Gerald or Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus? Yeah. If you're fans of those books, you are going to love. It's like a one hour long special. Okay. It's filmed live at the Kennedy Center. Okay. I'll I, I like HBO Max providing me with more family kid oriented programming. So I hope this is a good move. I don't know what to, I don't know how to interpret this. This is more just a, this is happening. I don't know what it means. Yeah. I mean, it might be one of these things where you're just consolidating it under, you know, one structure. Hopefully the, uh, the people actually doing the, the creative content are really not changing. You would hope not, but you yeah. know, we're just, we're just seeing so much. It's like every week we're reporting on more consolidation. Yeah. So kind of moving aside from the business side of things, which can be a little boring at times, actually got some pretty exciting things happening this week when it comes to Zack Snyder's Justice League. We got a picture from Zack. Now, <laughs> it's something. It's a slate, but it's something. I mean, it's a picture. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's a slate. It's got the little Justice League logo with the Stone Quarry logo put right on top of it, which I found interesting. I found that interesting as well. Um, there was a Fountainhead reference in the corner. So, Corlent, which of course is the building that Reardon's building. And spoiler alert for a book that's that old, he ends up blowing up because it gets compromised. Yeah. I don't know how that has anything to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the other thing, it looked like it looks like it says uh, Zack Snyder, uh, director slash director of photography, something like that. We're just kind of speculating. That's the speculation. Yeah. Yeah, we're speculating. I mean, looking at the spacing of the words, it looks like there's another word after director. Yes. So, so we assume, you know, uh, I guess uh, director of photography. I don't know, or unless it says DP or... Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Or just camera. <laughs> yeah, or camera. Because he had know. something similar to that on the slate for Army of the Dead because yep. he was his own DP on Army of the Dead. So there's been speculation that with COVID restrictions that he's just being his own DP on the additional photography for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yep, which we know he's been dabbling at anyway, right? In fact, I mean, that was, you know, when he was in film school with uh, Larry Fong. Yeah. They worked together in this kind of he stuff. He also shot an entire film on an iPhone. So, I mean, I let's, let's, <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Do you do you find that Zach is being much more conservative with the amount of information he gives out now? Oh, I I haven't seen the man on Vero in so long. I mean, today it was the first time in a while I'd seen like some interactions. Like he liked he liked a picture of my baby. You know, it's just like, oh wow, I had a Zach like. Okay, okay, <laughs> cool, whatever. Like it, it it he's suddenly like tonight he started being more active. Yeah, so he's I obviously feel very like busy. it's like he's he's being a busy man. Like he was finishing up. Army of the Dead reshoots. You know, he's starting Justice League additional photography. He's busy. He's actually working. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, somebody had asked him, you know, we know you've been working hard on Army of the Dead, Zack Center's Justice League. Thank you so much. Finally, your Vero drought is over. And he says, it's okay. I've just been busy, which uh, which is good. We want we want this guy busy. We want busy. That is, I mean, that is when he is clearly happiest. What's when we're also getting content. Let, let, let's yeah. be greedily here, you know. Well, but also we're not getting the kind of content we were getting before when he wasn't working on something. That's there true. he's pulling things out of his iPhone and saying, oh, I'll just go ahead and put a Vero post out with this picture. <laughs> we're not getting it now. But actually, I, I'm kind of glad because I'm at this point now where, you know, he's given us lots of information about what's going to be in this film. 
film, we don't really need any more at this point. So I don't need him showing me too much more in terms of like what other kind of surprises we have in store. I think clearly with this rumored $70 million of additional funding that has gone towards this effort to turn this into a four part miniseries and then who knows, maybe more. We can only speculate where all that money's going, but like that just tells me that we've got a lot more surprises in store. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he certainly doesn't need to tip those off. Absolutely not. And, you know, he, someone asked about, so when are we expecting some behind the scenes picks? And of course he responds with an emoji, which is the, you know, the, you know, the, the tongue sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> and this one was a fun one though. You know, I shout out to release the Snyder punch. Uh, but, uh, there was a, someone asking, this is great. I cannot wait to see your completed vision. Hopefully one day we can see you see your cut of sucker punch as well. And Zach said, would love to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. We would too. We would mm-hmm. definitely like to do that. Yes. You know, it doesn't it just feel like he, he knows he's kind of got them them meaning like you know not just studio but just like we'll, we'll just say warner media like clearly warner media wants to be in a Zack snyder business <laughs> for them to make this kind of investment and we've been saying that ever since the announcement back in may that this was a commitment when we were hearing rumblings that the announcement was coming you know we this is not the first time i've heard in tim's voice warner media wants to be in the Zack snyder business i i like i just <laughs> Just, it just rolls off your tongue, and I'm used to hearing you. <laughs> What's fun, though, is to realize that other people have the exact same thoughts. Because there was an article from The Observer this week with industry and box office analysts who are citing that the additional photography is most likely motivated by Warner Media wanting to appease Snyder uh, more than it is about the financial gain of Zack Snyder's Justice League itself. Uh, Paul, this is going to be a fun one. Paul Durgabagadian, <laughs> Comscore senior media uh, media analyst, noted that the movie move by the company is likely more indicative of investing in Snyder as a filmmaker more than an attempt to reap the financial benefits of releasing this specific project. Everyone looks at studios at these monolithic financial motivated entities, but when you see something like this, it tells you that more is going on. Quote, there is an X factor to consider. Do we want this person to work elsewhere or do we want to keep them in house? If it doesn't make hard financial or objective financial sense on its face, then there are subjective motivations and factors at play. They want to be in the Zack Snyder business just like Warner's wants to be in the Christopher Nolan business. It's long-term strategy. I mean, like, they they, they, they listen to you, Tim. They <laughs> stole your phraseology and and put it in, that, in this article because look what happened when they lost him. Where did he go? Yeah, he went to Netflix. I mean, that's the thing that we've been saying for a long time, and I think this was terminology that you would use, Scott, uh, talking about an arms race. You yes. know, this is an arms race race of talent right now. So you've got all these different studios, whether it be now all these streaming content studios. I mean, clearly Netflix has been trying to pull over some of these people from Warner Brothers. So he pulled over Zack Snyder. He pulled over David Ayer. He pulled over uh, who Ava else? DuVernay. Yeah, Ava DuVernay. So now you've got all these people that are trying to lock in this talent. So why do you think Warner Brothers went in and, and uh, I guess it was Warner Media locked in something with J.J. Um, Abrams and now Ava DuVernay and uh, Zack Snyder. Y- you need, if you 
you want to beat Netflix, you have to get these big players over to you. And and that's what's happening right now. And and it, it would be extremely silly to not try to lock somebody like Zack Snyder in, who's kind of a one of a kind when mm-hmm. it comes to, when it comes to what kind of content he's able to deliver. I mean, look, already at Netflix, he's produced one movie, two movie, animated series. Uh 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 <laughs> and and it's like and this is original IP. This isn't even based on anything pre existing. And you gotta imagine AT&T and Warner Media are like looking at Warner Bros. going, you done screwed up. We could have had that. Because what does HBO Max need right now? Content. Yep. Now, Derek Garabedian pointed out that not only does the investment into completing the project and marketing bode well for their confidence in Snyder's future endeavors, but it also offers audiences incentive to subscribe to HBO Max. Again, the arms race. You have to have the talent. (laughs) And then what it really shows is a long-term commitment, patience, and loyalty to a filmmaker to create something grand. Yep, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, I that that analyst uh, kind of basically said everything that I think we've been feeling for quite a while. It's the thing that made the most sense. It's nice to be vindicated, just 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 a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. just just a wee bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Well, now we need to talk about a significant update in the Ray Fisher saga. Right. This is a tough one, Scott. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get we're, we're gonna work our way through this because I, I think just full disclosure, this is a downer for us every time we have to bring this up. It's like we don't enjoy having to bring this up, but we just feel like that because of the nature of the beast, it falls under our purview. We've been covering it, and when there are updates, we need to continue to cover it. So on Thursday, a piece by Shiraz Faruqi was, uh, interview with Ray Fisher was dropped on Forbes, and in it, a lot of recap of the Ray Fisher situation, as those of us who follow it are perfectly aware of the ins and outs and what's been happening. But because it was an interview, there was an opportunity for a lot of direct quotes from Ray Fisher to be included and to reveal information that, we'll be honest, was even new information to us and was quite, um, would shocking be the word? I'm trying not to be too hyperbolic here. Uh, I, uh... I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it was it was certainly it was certainly elevating this another significant step forward. Okay, so what Ray Fisher was alleging throughout this article, beyond the work the toxic workplace, the workplace retaliation, all the accusations that we have been hearing since July, basically, there was also um, accusations now that leaned more towards accusations of racism in some of the decisions that were being made. And who was responsible for those decisions? Also, some revelations of when the cast and crew knew information and when they didn't know information. And I thought that was also a very telling sign as well. Right. So to kind of start this thing off, I I thought one of the the really kind of like elevating quotes that we got here from Ray Fisher, he said, The erasure of people of color from the 2017 theatrical version of Just League was neither an accident nor coincidence. So, I mean, that's a a very blunt statement. Mm -hmm. And, And to kind of add to that he says for one thing the cast and the crew were told that zach had handpicked joss to finish the film for him i didn't find out until after the reshoots that that was a complete lie ray fisher went on to say i heard whispers and rumblings of things being off behind the scenes but nothing concrete until much later they had us go out to san diego comic-con in 2017 and say that zach picked joss and that joss was a great guy i still have the email <laughs> with those talking points so that goes back to the video that he started off this whole 
situation with where he said, I like to forcefully retract this statement, showing the video of him answering that question at San Diego Comic-Con. And so now uh, state uh, alleging that those were talking points given to him and, of course, stating that he has the email where he was given those talking points to say. Right. But then he said uh, here that prior to Justice League's reshoot process, blatantly racist conversations were had and entertained on multiple occasions by former and current top-level executives at Warner Brothers Pictures. He said decision makers that participated in those racist conversations were Jeff Johns, John Berg, and current Warner Brothers Pictures Group chairman Toby Emmerich. Okay, so he, this is... I mean... Whoa. Yeah, I mean, this is this is basically really elevating... The accusations. The details of of what was alleged to occur. Mm-hmm. And it's also the first time that he's named Emmerich. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He says, I realized that the notes I ended up getting from Johns during reshoots were just coded version of the racist things that he was saying with behind closed doors with the other execs. Now, once again, another allegation. Another allegation. A lot of what these guys were doing was in an effort to prevent themselves from being fired during AT&T's merger with Time Warner. He says, I plan on getting much more specific about each of these guys after the investigation is over. This interview is just an abridged version. Which once again lines up with what he's detailed publicly on social media as his strategy, which is, I'm not revealing everything because I don't want them to know what to you know set up a defense for. And yeah. that he wants this internal investigation to be where he shows all his cards. So uh, this next statement from him is the one where, okay, now he he's made these pretty dramatic statements here. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out, like, why is he so confident to make these kind of statements? It really comes to this next quote for me, where he says, these conversations were reported to me by people in the room. And I wasn't made aware until after I had already spoken out about Joss Whedon. Wow. So okay. he's basically saying that he has the confidence to make these kind of bold statements because somebody is talking to him directly about what happened. Someone who witnessed it. Somebody who witnessed it. So we are inferring from this that this is someone that he wants to be, that he wants the independent investigator to speak with right. on the record. Right. So this is going to be really one of the most important things here, really, when it comes down to it. Like if this if this independent investigator comes in and interviews all these people, this obviously is going to be somebody that's very important to kind of help tell and support what Ray has been feeling and what he experienced allegedly on the set of Justice League. Now, continuing with this point, I think this next quote he says is important because for people who balk at this because he's going about this publicly through social media and press, this next quote, I think, directly addresses that. Quote, none of what I'm sharing in this interview is news to Warner Brothers HR, nor should it be news to Warner Media. I reported almost everything to them back in July lie, including Emmerich's involvement. The fact that I'm having to advocate for myself in this way is equal parts freeing and frustrating. So, him, of course, alleging, I have already gone through the proper channels. Right, yeah. And nothing has been done to his satisfaction. So, thus, the independent investigation. So, so one of the things in this article, it was it was kind of like stating some of the circumstances around uh, this film, mentioning that the role of Ryan Choi uh, was eliminated from the film, uh, who is a person of color, Joe Morton, who plays, plays Cyborg's father was uh, mostly cut and reshot. And then talking about Karen Bryson, who played Cyborg's mother, uh, her role was cut as well. And then, of course, we all know about Kiersey Clemens, who played Iris West, and she was removed from the film. So those were some of the supporting information uh, added in the article. Well, this is one of the things where the article was updated to include some reaction and responses uh, back from the Joss Whedon camp. And, and it said here, according to representatives from Joss Whedon, these decisions were made prior to his taking control of the project. Okay, so the original article was 
published with no statements from the other parties because they they declined to comment. That was how it was presented originally in the article. Later in the day, this article was updated by Forbes to include statements that were provided by Whedon's representation. So this was one of the things that Whedon's representatives chose to comment on. Yes, these roles were cut. However, they were cut before Joss Whedon took over directing of reshoots on Justice League. Now, so this is where I want to inject some of our own commentary into this. I Looking at this thing, I, I think it's entirely plausible and believable that this is what the case was. Because I kind of feel like, you know, when Joss Whedon was brought in to do this film, there were a number of other things going on. There was the two-hour mandate, which of course forced lots of cuts in this thing. So I find it interesting that of all the things that Joss Whedon could have commented on, this was the one thing that he spent time to comment on and, and specifically respond back to. That kind of tells me that this is an area that I think he feels like he would be confident in being able to defend that, like, I was not part of these decisions. Yes. What's your take? I agree, because we look at all the all the comments that are still to come in the article that still include allegations about Whedon and Whedon's behavior on the set of the reshoots of Justice League. As we will point out, Whedon's representatives neglected to address any of those accusations in the article. And as we're about to point out, portions of this article were removed from the original version that was presented at about 1 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday and later in the evening when the article was updated after Forbes had been contacted by Whedon's representatives. So my commentary is pay attention to the things they chose to say no, 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 and then also notice the things that they didn't speak on at all. My commentary and speculation is that's telling what they choose to deny and what they choose to leave alone because they deny they did not deny that these characters were cut from the film but they wanted acknowledgement that they wanted to put in their statement that this was cut before Whedon took over the project so while they were cut it was not Whedon's decision right there was also an entire quote that is currently removed from the Forbes article in which Fisher alleged based on information he was told that a actor of color had his complexion lightened because Whedon thought his skin was too dark. That was the allegation. That quote is currently not in the Forbes article because Whedon's representative challenged it and Forbes acquiesced to remove it, replacing it with a statement from Whedon's representative, which states the individual who offered the statement acknowledged that this was just something that he had heard from someone else and accepted as truth when in fact simple research would prove that it was false. Okay, there's some commentary from his representative as well. As is standard on almost all films, there were numerous people involved with mixing the final product, including the editor, special effects person, composer, etc., with the senior color responsible for the final version, tone, color, and mood. This process was further complicated on this project by the fact that Zach shot on film while Joss saw it on digital, which required the team, led by the same senior colorist who worked on previous films for Zach, to reconcile the two. Notice the representative does not deny that the lightning of the skin color actually changed. What they deny is the... The intent. The intent and the fact that it was Whedon's responsibility that it happened in the first place. Right. By naming all these other people. Yeah, so to make a long story short, it just seems like Joss, of all the things that he's going to defend or not defend in this, I, I think he's trying to be very clear that he's trying to say these things 
things result revolving around people of color that it it was not as it was being portrayed yes. or or being felt by some of the people in the film, including Ray Fisher. Right, because Fisher repeated his allegations about blow ups, threats, coercion, taunting, unsafe work conditions, belittling, and gaslighting. Right, those are still all in the article. Those were not addressed by Whedon's representatives. I infer something from that. So I do too. I do too. Yeah. I again. I I, I think as we've both been saying here, take a look at what's being defended. Take a look at what is not being defended or responded to. Right. And then the article went on to detail more things that we have previously reported on. And we do find out that Warner Media, through a quote from Ray Fisher, Warner Media has since informed me, being Ray Fisher and my team, that the old investigator purposely lied to us about the investigation. We've asked Warner Media to relay this information to the public and to retract Warner Brothers' September 4th hit piece on me so we can clear the air and get the investigation back on track. They refused to do so, so here we are. Hmm. Okay. So the new investigator that Warner Media has brought on is the same one that did the final Kevin Sujahar investigation before he was taken down. Yeah. Ray went on to reiterate that he's got a lot of witnesses that are willing to be interviewed and he says they're just waiting on his go-ahead that it's safe to do so. And so this has been something that I think Ray Fisher has been very consistent on. He, he's really talked about and he's talked about how he's concerned to making sure that these people can can come forward in a uh, in a way that's going to be safe for them to do so without jeopardizing their personal jobs or career. Right. And then Ray said as well, in a business as notoriously litigious as Hollywood, the fact that I haven't received so much as a cease and desist letter should tell you something. The people involved know I'm telling the truth. They're just looking for a way to mitigate blowback for themselves. So, I mean, at that point, the article continues to have more quotes, but not anything that we have not already, he's not already revealed up to this point. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when this story was reported by the other trades, the story from the other trades became about the fact that Forbes altered the story after the fact, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And I, I did uh, find it interesting, like the Hollywood Reporter, when they talked about this, they not only talked about the fact that a certain quote was removed from the Forbes article, they just said, well, here's the quote <laughs> that was removed. And they quoted it in their own article. Right. So, so you can't find the Forbes article, but read it here. Yeah. And then there was also from the site, uh, page six, you know, they brought the fact that the contributor for Forbes, former contributor now as the byline states, captured a discussion that has been in the public sphere for some time. That is a quote from Matthew Hutchinson, who's the chief communications officer for Forbes. The post was updated to add comments from Warner Brothers and Joss Whedon, and a quote was removed to add balance and fairness. Uh, the contributor, Shiraz, did not return, has not publicly made a statement one way or the other. However, uh, Forbes states, from through Mr. Hutchings, their chief communications officer, that Forbes stands by the updated story. So they added in a couple of quotes. They removed that one quote from Fisher that was viewed as problematic. And otherwise, Forbes is saying, we stand by this story. Right. I don't know. I, I just got to tell you about all this, Scott. I, I just... <laughs> 
I just hate the idea that we're even talking about any of this. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the thing is ultimately, you know, I want I want Ray Fisher to be able to be heard, and I want all the things that he felt and experienced to be addressed. But I also just want all these parties to be able to say, look, you know, let's try to let's try to right some wrongs. If there were some wrongs here, as are being alleged, do whatever you can to try to right them, because this isn't doing anybody any good. This is certainly not doing Ray Fisher any good, as he's clearly acknowledged, and and it's, I'm sure it's very much the truth. Is like he's not doing his career any favors whatsoever by doing this thing. <laughs> so he's doing this because he feels very passionate uh, about what he experienced, and uh, and he's asking for it to be addressed. So like this is this is not good for Ray Fisher. This is not good for Warner Brothers, and it's certainly not good for Warner Media. And I, and I just wish, and my hope is that that out of all this, there will be some truth and reconciliation that'll happen, and then that people either can come forward and say, look, yes, mistakes were made, or even certain individuals say, yeah, I made mistakes. And and try to reconcile this thing, and so that everyone can kind of move on, because this is just this is just not a good story for anybody, ultimately. But also, um, any allegations that are proven to be true, I also want to make sure that protections are put in place so that this crap doesn't happen again. Absolutely. So, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping we don't have to continue to keep talking about the story. I hope uh, I hope some kind of resolution comes forward. And uh, so that's just kind of my feelings on this thing. Yeah. So from the suicide squad uh, getting back into movie news uh, Empire Magazine ran an article this week that was you know what we come to expect from Empire leading into a big movie is you know we get some exclusive photos and we get you know big sort of set interviews a couple of things that pointed a couple of things that stood out to me that I thought was interesting we noted during the uh, fandom panel for the Suicide Squad that we were like that's a lot of wires that's a lot of explosions that's a lot of practical stuff going on in this movie and they bring that up in this Empire article. Uh, Gunn talked about, quote, it was becoming more and more blue screen on my other movies. And it sort of bums me out a little bit to be spending three weeks on a set that is just a few painted purple rocks. But The Suicide Squad is a big film with so many practical effects. We were really building giant sets. And then Charles Roven stepped in to say, I know we did a lot of construction, but I would say for sure that this is probably the biggest movie of destruction that Warner Brothers ever made. We definitely blow up a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then like further in the article talked about how James Gunn promised that no character is safe from a gruesome death. Some of the team members might even kill each other. And it's it said here in the article, thanks to an R rating, the filmmaker didn't have to pull any punches with his depiction of DC's Task Force X. It was basically the polar opposite of the more family-friendly work that he's done on Disney's Guardians of the Galaxy films. Well, I think that kind of makes it perfectly clear that <laughs> we're not going to be seeing the same type of film as Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think we speculated the possibility of this movie being rated R, and I feel like this pretty much just promises. They shot this with an R rating intent. Yeah, and, a, and if you want to see if this is any more polar opposite than a Disney movie, he said, we could do whatever we wanted. There are no rules in terms of sex and violence and things like that. Cool. So. Bring on the sex, bring on the violence. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, so. Other than that, I mean, we got some cool pictures. We got one where it looked like the, the Suicide Squad was in, like, another Chinook, which really made me kind of think of the same thing from David Ayer's Suicide Squad where they were in that helicopter coming down that crashed down. Yeah, I had the same thought too. So now kind of staying on the topic of Suicide Squad, but a different Suicide Squad on Friday night, David Ayer got really chatty on Twitter again. <laughs> it's always weird when David Ayer decides to get chatty about his Suicide Squad on yeah. Twitter. You can tell he's a little he's a little worked up over it. He is. Um, he reiterated again that his movie was all musical score and not the needle drops that we saw. I mean, once again, have you 
guys not listen to Stephen Price's score, go <laughs> buy the dang thing. You can. I mean, go listen to it. There was a fully scored movie on there. Mm-hmm. And then Sam Parker had asked, or he had commented, it just goes to show how influential to the final cut those music, music trailers were. And David Ayer quote tweeted and said, for sure that became a factor. But the reason was that Batman v Superman got chewed up by the critics and the success of Deadpool. The studio leadership at the time panicked. Then major elements of my cut were ripped out before I could mature the edit. Then John's wrote pages that I had to reshoot. <laughs> and then Tom in Spanish made the comment of, I hate that both Air and Leto got a bad reputation and a lot of hate because of something that had nothing to do with. David Ayer responded in Spanish by saying, that's why it's important for artists to control their work. Yeah. And then somebody questioned David on or how Harley Quinn was used in the film. He says, David, important question. Is Harley Quinn sexualized in her cut too, or did the character's objectification happen by imposition by the studio? And I'm translating from Spanish. And David's response was, watch Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> which basically just means if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, highly sexualized with very little screen time. Yes. That's basically what he was saying. And then this is actually how we started off this entire tweet uh, conversation was uh, uh, someone asked, what was the toughest scene to leave on the cutting room floor? To which David Ayer replied, the first 40 minutes. <laughs> Wow. Interesting. And then someone said they cut and rearranged 40 plus minutes from the first Suicide Squad. No wonder it was such a mess. And David Ayer repeated, it was ripped to pieces. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. So I still remain hopeful that the fact that he's been very involved in taking a look at his cut again just means that he's working on it or trying to figure some things out about what can be done. Yes. That's my hope. And then quickly rattling off some TV news because whenever TV is coming back on, I think we're going to get TV before we get movies anyway. Yeah. And, uh, uh, for looking at the CW, you've got Superman and Lois. It's going to be premiering on February 23rd. Second season of Batwoman coming out on January 17th. Fourth season of Black Lightning coming out on February 8th. And The Flash premiering February 23rd. So basically, you're looking at the middle of January or the end of February for all the shows to get started back. Then going through a couple more quick bits of TV news, we got our first look at Javisha Leslie, who's playing Batwoman, replacing Ruby Rose. And and I actually think she looks really good. Like yeah. I, I just kind of feel like the the hair and the color, everything just like fits, uh, flows really nicely. I thought so. I thought it was a pretty nice little look. And then the look that got me kind of excited was as they teased last Saturday on Monday, they did reveal a Red Hood look for Titans. I'm pleased. I'm yeah. Just, I, I'm, I'm pleased. It's, it's Red Hood, you know, and they <laughs> nailed it like, that's Red Hood. Yeah. An interesting mix of, you know, a little bit of like his Arkham Knight look with, I, I don't know, more of a, like, a, like a new 52, like, because so, you got like the battle armor with the, with the red bat on it in the leather jacket, but with the actual like red hoodie that goes over the red hood itself. Yeah. And guns. Lots and lots of guns. I got to right now i mean i think the the titans creative team just continues to kill it when it comes to costumes oh man you can never fault them for the costume design no no. it's just their season finales (laughs) the season finales could use some work but yeah i mean these costumes just look great so this is gonna be a i think i i I have really high hopes for the season three i kind of feel like this is gonna be a really interesting storyline i i feel like if they don't land if they don't land the ending with the season then they're really doing something wrong oh yeah well you know was it once as happenstance twice as a coincidence three times as enemy action yes that's right 
Oh. So, moral of the story, nail the landing. That's just, <laughs> That's right. just you know, make a landing worthy of this costume. That's all <laughs> I got to say. Absolutely. I mean, the the concept art is definitely promising. Walking through this, like, big fiery background scene, so. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, you know, just whenever it, you know, whenever it does premiere on HBO Max. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, Scott, I don't know. This is one of those news weeks. It is one of those news weeks. It's Halloween. It's a full moon. It's 2020. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that is it for this week's podcast. We want to thank you guys for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Alan Fire. And of course, you can find the show at DC Film Squadcast. You can reach me at ScottDC27. Of course, you can email the show at DCFilmSquadcast at gmail.com. We love interacting with you. Please reach out. You can also find us on Vero, Facebook, YouTube, and the entire network at SquadcastMedia.com. Yep. And if you guys would like to help support what we're doing, you can go to Patreon.com slash SquadcastMedia. All right, guys, that is it for this week to all of our listeners please go out stay in do something and read some dc bye guys Whoever makes a decision to cut out the first 40 minutes of a film, I, I don't know what the circumstances are behind that, but I mean, you're, you're literally cutting out a third of the film. Well, and also, um, you remember how the first 40 minutes of that movie actually went when we <laughs> got it in theaters? Yeah. Yeah. I remember our review. <laughs> I remember how that went. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, there's still a lot I enjoy about the film, but just clearly something was not quite right with the film. So <laughs> that, That's a way of putting it. Those, yeah. those are words you could use <laughs> so i don't know whoever it was that made the decision that those first 40 minutes had to be cut out this is for you